All things were made by him, and without him wasn't anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him, and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Amen. We know that God will add his own blessing to the reading of his inspired and infallible word. Let us bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God as we ponder thy truth now, as we ponder the one who is the Word, we pray that you would touch our hearts and that we would say with the hymn writer, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. We're going to ponder this fourth verse of John chapter 1. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Apostle John introduces Jesus Christ in his own unique way. I say unique because Matthew, Mark, and Luke begin in time. Matthew and Luke begin with the Lord coming into the world as that little baby. But John begins in eternity. Before there was a star and before there was a sun and before there was one atom of material substance, there was Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And together they fashioned the heavens and the earth out of nothing. And therefore John simply writes, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here he shows us the one who is the Logos in the Greek language, the one who is the eternal Word, the one who shares the same substance with the Father, and yet is a unique person separate from the Father. He is co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and with the Holy Ghost, and he was actively involved whenever the heavens and the earth were made out of nothing as that great event, the fundamental event to human history and human existence, the creation of the world. Christ was not only there, but Christ was active. All things were made by Him. Without Him was anything made 
that was made. And here, John identifies who the Christ is. It is a very important portrait because man is apt to look at physical things, and those physical things become more real than the eternal realities. They look at the manger, and they look at the baby, and that's all they see. Or they look at the crucifix, and they look at the cross, and that's all they see. But John shows us the futility of employing those kinds of images for religious worship, because those images detract from who the real person is. He is the eternal Son of God. That in a little child existed all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The one who made the heavens and the earth out of nothing. This is who he was. John will go on later to record the incarnation in his own way. In verse 13, we have the words, verse 14 rather, we have the words and the word, the logos, the one that made all things, the one who dwelt from all eternity with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, the one who is co-equal with the Father, co-eternal with the Father, the one who is omnipotent, who is all knowledge, who exists everywhere at once, who is omnipresent and immense. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And there John was referring, without a doubt, to the time when the Lord was transfigured on the mount. And they saw Him appearing with Moses and Elijah, being full of glory. We saw His glory. John would later write, we touched him. We handled him. The word of life. But he was made flesh. And he dwelt among us. The word dwelt actually means to tabernacle. The human body that the Lord inhabited was like a tent. And the Logos, the Son of God, dwelt in that tent. The word of God, the Son of God, lived among us. The body of a man. He was made flesh, dwelt among us. He became man. That's what John is writing about. That's the miracle, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But what we have here in verse 4 is the purpose of his coming. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. It is striking that John doesn't exactly write in a logical way as we would reckon logic. We're writing up a biography. You, you may begin with a person's ancestry, where they came from, their whole background, and then you'll come to a time when you'll talk about them being born in such and such a time, such and such a place, and the, these are their parents, and this was how this person grew up. And you know, John does none of that. Yes, he comes to the incarnation. He comes to the moment of birth, but he looks at that in a very theological way. All of the other facts, Matthew and Luke have dealt with all of those. He doesn't need to recap on all of that. He needs to go below the surface, show the one who is the Son of God. But before he shows us the birth of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, before he shows us the Word being made flesh, he talks about his, his purpose. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of man. This is paramount in John's thinking because he's describing the heavens and the earth being made by him in verse 3, and then suddenly he comes in, and him is life. The life is the light of men. He came through his life to bring us light. He became man. We might have light through his life. In him was light. Light and life are key themes in the Gospel of John. For example, the word light occurs 24 times. The word life occurs 44 times. And in the epistles, the epistle of 1 John that we're looking at on Sunday mornings, light appears six times, life appears 15 times. These are important concepts that John weaves into his narrative. And we are going to look at the importance of this truth that John is presenting. Why did Jesus come? Why was he conceived in the womb of Mary? Why did he enter this world? He came for you and for me to bring us life and to bring us light. And that light can only be enjoyed through his life. King Charles today in his address talked about light. He talked about the light that Christianity has. Then he talked about the light that there is in Islam, all the other religions, even the light that people who have no faith, no religion can have. The truth is, The Christian faith is absolutely and completely explicit. It stands on its own. There is only light through Christ, and there's only life through Christ. And without Him, there's nothing. Doesn't matter what other religion that person's pursuing. If that person doesn't have Christ, there's nothing. Yes, there may be goodness in people, a humanitarian goodness in helping people and reaching people in, in being kind to people and being good to people. But you know, all of that kindness, all of that goodness only comes from the common grace that God has given to all men. For goodness begins with God. But that will never save a soul. That will never take a soul to heaven. That will never rescue a soul from hell. Only Christ can do that. So this is a very important thing because it shows us that only Christ's light is the true spiritual light. And only Christ's life is the true spiritual life. And without Him, there's nothing. And if you don't have Christ's life tonight in you, then you're in the darkness. And that's the lesson that the gospel brings. And so let's think about this light, this light that humanity requires. In Him was life. First of all, let's think about the life that is in Christ. What is it about Christ's life that is important? What, what is it? It's the question we need to ask. In Him is life, but what is it about His life? Well, there are basically three kinds of life in Jesus Christ that are important for us. There is the very fact that He is the originator of all kind of physical life, we would not be alive without Christ. We would not be breathing tonight without Christ. We'd not be able to eat, and we wouldn't be able to enjoy this world without Christ. We are told in 
Psalm 104, verse 30, Thou sentest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. God's spirit has created all things. And John has already referred to that in the verse 3. In, in him we live and move and have our being. As Paul taught in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, Therefore we would not be alive today were it not for Christ. And because of that, he is the preserver. He is the originator of all things. And so Christ provides us with life. But he also provides us with spiritual life. You see, if you don't know the Lord tonight as your Savior, you're dead. You're dead in your sin. You're completely dead in your sin. And you may think that this is irrelevant, that this doesn't apply to you, or this is a decision you need to make some other time, come to Jesus Christ. You, you may have all kinds of excuses why you're not a Christian, but the very fact that you're trifling with eternity is proof that you're dead. You can trivialize something so important, something so vital as your spiritual well-being. Uh, Christ is the originator of all spiritual life, and it is so important that you do have spiritual life that the spiritual death that is within you is taken away because death is a decaying thing. Spiritual death decays. It corrupts, it warps, it defiles. Only Christ can reverse that spiritual death and bring you to life. And so all spiritual life is found in Him. And then there is eternal life. And that's the third kind of life. So there's material life that we now have, and there is the fact that he gives spiritual life, and then there is eternal life. And to live forever, to live in an everlasting state, and to enjoy that life, because some people are living and they're not enjoying their lives. And that's why many people will say, well, I wouldn't really want to live for a couple of hundred years because I I don't think I could bear that. And for some, life becomes not enjoyable. And there's hardships and there's heartaches in this world, but to think of, of eternal life and you will enjoy that. Enjoy it in a way that makes every earthly enjoyment peel away into insignificance. And that's what He provides and that's what He gives. And the secret of eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. You see, in 1 John 5, verse 11, we read, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ. And so this is the importance of the life of Christ. He, he satisfies every one of our needs. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. And so we notice the life that is in Christ. But let's also think about the life given by Christ. You see, in Him was life. His life is our light. So Christ therefore gives us His life. He became man, and He lived as man, that He might give His life for us. So how, how does He give His life for us? And this is the amazing gift we think about at Christmas time, and indeed every time we minister the gospel, we think about this unspeakable gift, the gift of Christ's life. He gave us life 
for us by living out his life as a perfect man in a corrupt world. Paul wrote in Hebrews 7, he is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. That was the life that he lived in this world, a holy life, a harmless life, a life of complete purity. And there has never been any person like that. Not in the history of the world has there been anybody pure, anyone sinless, anyone holy. Such a person has never existed. And yet, in the man Christ, Mary must have looked at the child growing up with a daily astonishment because of his goodness, his kindness, his obedience. He gave that pure, holy life for us. He lived that life for us, that life that we cannot live. He lived it on our account because we are so full of our sin and our wretchedness and our disobedience and our rebellion. It's there all the time, and yet he became good for us, the good child for us, the good young person for us, the, the good young man for us. He became the very best, and he gave his best for us in order that we might be saved. He, he, he gave his life that we might have liked through, through living it out in perfection. And then he gave his life by offering it upon that cross through dying that we might live. And here we are told his life is the light of men. And yet in order that his life might come to us, he had to lay that life down. He had to sacrifice that life. He came to die. He referred to this in Several places throughout his ministry in John 12, 24, he said, Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And there he was clearly referring to his own death and his own resurrection. The fact that the corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, that it might yield a harvest. And so he came to die. In John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And in John 10, 15, he said, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and they lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life. I give my life. On Wednesday evening past, we meditated upon those words in Philippians chapter 2, where we are told that he made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. He sacrificed all of his reputation through his humility because he, he took upon himself the very guilt of our sin on that cross. He became guilty for us. He became guilty of all of our sins, all of our transgressions, all of our law-breaking. He took the guilt of that upon himself and he offered up himself upon that cross the most evil, the most cruel form of punishment and execution that any man had ever contrived. And he yielded himself up to that desperate death. And at the same time, he yielded himself up to the guilt of our sin and to the wrath of his father. He made himself of no reputation. And the other way of interpreting those words, translating those words, no reputation, is taking the Greek word kenosis and saying he emptied himself. And as I said, it's a dangerous thing to talk about him emptying himself because whenever we talk of somebody emptying themselves, they're left with nothing. And Christ always was the Son of God. He always was the one who was co-equal with the Father. And therefore, you have to be careful how you define yourself doctrinally when talking about our Savior. 
But there is one way in which evidently he did empty himself, and we can be clear about this. He gave himself up with such entirety. He surrendered his life so totally that there was nothing left. He gave it all. He gave that body for us. On that cross, the blood and water flowed out. There was nothing left. His whole inner being was broken down. His very heart was broken on that cross. And he surrendered himself. He made himself of no reputation. He did it himself. He did it willingly. He was not that victim taken away to be crucified, but he allowed himself to be taken away. He was in ultimate control. It was the ultimate act of sacrifice. And so this life that he had, he gave that life. He laid down that life for us that we might never be lost. Ah, the more we think of this, the more we say, hallelujah, what a savior. Was there ever a life like this? Was there ever a death like this? But the other way by which he gave his life was by taking that life back again. He took it back. The, the grave could not hold him. Death could not bind him. He rose from the grave the third day in order that we might triumph over death ourselves. In John ten seventeen, he said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself, and I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. I had the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. And so he took that life back in order that we might live forever through him. And what light comes from the resurrection? He also gave his life for us in opening up a way into heaven for us. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he became man, became man forever. He became a humiliated man for a, a period of time, 33 years. And that humiliation took him all the way to death. But he became a glorified man at the time of the resurrection. But he still became man. And he's still a man today. So as the man in the glory, the glorified man, he took his life and he entered into the heavenlies. Why? Well, well, he tells us why. In John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. Oh, we have so many troubles. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I will go, he said, into the presence of my Father, and I will prepare a place for you, that where I am, you're going to be with me. And where I am, you're going to be with me. Those that have passed on into the glory, they are where Christ is. We'd never want them back. They're right there with our man in the glory. And one day, we're going to be there with him. And therefore, let not your heart be troubled. He has given his life, and he has taken that life, and taken it right into the heavenlies for us, that there might be a place prepared for us. And furthermore, he has given that life not just in the fact that he, he lived it out perfectly and that he laid it down in death, that he took it again in the resurrection, that he entered into the glory for us, but he also 
gives us that life when he sends forth the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in the world today. The Holy Spirit is in our hearts. Those of us who are saved, he's in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit is here where the two and the three are gathered together in his presence. And he said in John 14, 16, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And all of Christ's prayers are answered. And there he is praying for us, our man in the glory, giving his life in prayer. And he's praying that the Holy Spirit might be sent. And the Holy Spirit does come. And one of the Spirit's great functions, of course, is to produce new life in sinners' hearts. Produce the new birth. You must be born again. It is Christ giving his life. And Christ giving his life through prayer that brings sinners to a new birth. And another way by which he gives his life, this is not over, another way by which he gives his life is through his coming again. And that is yet future. It is a dangerous thing for any unconverted person to sit and say that the coming again of Christ is just some kind of fabrication, just some kind of idea. Because we read this morning from the book of Isaiah the prophecies that pointed to the coming of Christ the first time. Tonight we read from the book of Genesis the prophecies that pointed to the coming of Christ the first time. All of those prophecies were fulfilled. He came the first time. And there are other prophecies that talk about him coming the second time. And he is going to come. And he will come the second time. And when he comes the second time, he will give his life to gather his people. All that are in the graves will hear his voice. All that are in the graves and there will be a resurrection unto life. But there will also be a resurrection unto damnation. On what side of that divide will you be on that day? Because he will gather as a judge and gather humanity before him and he'll put the sheep to the right and the goats to the left. And where will he put you? And you will be in no position to argue and you will be in no position to debate with him. Where will he send you? Unto eternal life or eternal damnation. You see, Christ's life is the most important life that ever was lived, that ever lives now, that ever will live because he is King of kings and Lord of lords and he is the Savior of mankind. And if you don't know the Lord tonight, what must you do with this life that Christ has given and is giving for you? For it's all for you. He died for you. He rose again for you. There's hope for you through him. What must you do? You must accept the gift. And you have received gifts today and accepted those gifts. And to refuse a gift is to risk causing an individual great offense, great hurt. It's kind to, to accept the gift that someone in kindness gives you. And never was there a greater act of kindness when God sent his son as the gift for you. And yet you need to accept that gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The minute you're in the darkness, but you can move from the darkness into the light. By accepting the life of Christ. Because in him is life. And you will never live until you come to Christ. 